Look, just as we're, uh, just we're thinking about Ross going away and all the rest of it and what's happening. Can we just go into Matthew chapter 6 again and we just ask the Lord to bless this to us, Father. But we bit to finish off at the end of the chapter, so we might just have time to do that. You know, we've looked at Matthew 5, uh, we've looked at a lot of parts, uh, Matthew 6, and there's been a lot about forgiveness and there's been a lot about how we treat each other and all the rest of it. And it almost sounds as if it's a book of rules. And I really want to put that to death in you, that this is no a book of rules. This, what's happening in Matthew 5, 6 and 7 should be a spontaneous outpouring of what God is doing in your life. When we remember what Christ did on the cross for us, we should want to be that people that forgive each other. We should want to be that people that are continually wanting to give of themselves and give of their possessions. That we want to fast for the situations that we find people in. And we want, of course, to pray for them. Prayer is the bedrock of it. Prayer is the answer. Many, many times we've prayed in here and we've had answers to prayer as we've heard this morning. You'll have had answers to prayer in your own private life, in your own place. We've had many answers to prayer for our Wednesday nights, and I'm sure for the Tuesday night fellowships as well, and for the in-betweenies. Prayer's the bedrock. Prayer's the place where it all starts. Prayer is the boiler house of the church. And it shouldn't be something like all of these other things, like giving and fasting. It shouldn't be something that we have to do as a duty. It should be an outpouring of the Spirit in our lives. It should be just something that wells up within us. And these disciples, as they were taught by Jesus, would be absolutely amazed and astonished at what Jesus was teaching them. Because they were so used to the law. They were so used to being put down. And here was somebody that was coming to bring them freedom. A freedom in Christ. And that's what we have. I read that in that passage from Romans when we did communion. That you know where where the law is fulfilled in us because Jesus fulfilled the law. There is no law. There is no law against love. You can't be arrested. You're loving too much. Jail. And that's what Jesus was trying to explain to these people. And he sums it up here at the end of chapter 6. When it starts at verse 19, he says, You know, bearing in mind all that you've put, all I've said to you over this past little while, you know, about fasting, about praying, about giving, about how you look at people, how you, you know, how you interact with people. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And really, I suppose it sums up the fact here that use what God has given you wisely. We are very, very, we are a very gifted people. We have something that the world doesn't have. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. The very Spirit of God. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Lives in us. Why? Because our sins are forgiven. When God looks at us. He doesn't see. The black marks. He sees us dressed in his righteousness. I've said this before. You know if I was standing here wearing a white shirt. And it had the black spot on it. The first thing you would see was the black spot. You wouldn't notice the white shirt. And, and that often is the way we are with each other. That we tend to look at the black marks rather than the, rather than the righteousness. We look for the wrong things in people. 
And it's a reversal of, of what our human nature says. God is asking us to live differently from what the world was asking us to live. Where we would find fault with people, God says don't find fault with them. Because if you find fault with them, you're, you're finding fault in yourself. When we're storing up treasure in heaven, it's in the giving that we store up treasure in heaven. That, you know, the previous passage was about giving and fasting and prayer. And these were the three big pillars, if you want to call that, of Judaism that, that Jesus was commenting on here. And putting to rights, this was the heart of God in regard to the, to the praying and the fasting and, and the giving. So it was giving, storing up your treasure in heaven. Every little thing that you do for each other, every little piece of forgiveness that you offer, I believe there will be something written down in the book. In fact, it says that in the, I think it's Malachi, that when the people of God get together and have a conversation and talk about the Lord, the Lord writes down all that they say because it's to be a blessing to us. So it's in the given that we store up our treasure in heaven. Somebody, I can't remember who it was, said, but there's no pockets in a shroud. There's no point in storing up riches in this earth because you can't take it with you, no matter how, how desperately you want to take it with you. And over the years we've seen in all the civilizations like the Egyptians and the Persians, how they buried their kings and they wanted to bury you know, millions of dollars or millions of pounds worth of treasure with them. And yet, a couple of hundred years later, some grave robber came along and guess what? The body was gone but the, the treasure was still there. You can't take it with you beyond the grave. I say this many times because it always intrigues me that it used to be, I don't know whether it's still as much now, but in the Scotsman from Edinburgh. Um, <laughs> sorry about the Eberdonians that are here, or Edinburghians. But they used to publish all these wills, and the wills were of all the people that were of some consequence. I mean, they wouldn't have published my will, you know. <laughs> but the people, you know, Lord so-and-so or whatever, and they used to publish the will, and left, Lord so-and-so left four million pounds in a house in wherever, uh, Morningside. But I always think, you know, he didn't leave it. Nobody that spends their life accumulating two million pounds in a house in Morningside just leaves it. Why did he not leave it when he was alive? Because he doesn't want to leave it. It's taking off him. The riches of this world are of absolutely no use to you. You can stuff your pockets with gold and try to get into heaven, but I'll tell you this. If you read Revelation, God's got the streets of heaven paved with gold. It's just road covering as far as he's concerned. So don't be, you know, don't... Don't store up those treasures. You need money to live. Of course you do. And you need things to, to, to look after your own bodily and physical and mental health. Of course you do. But don't make them your God. Store your treasure up in heaven. It's better to die and go to heaven with nothing in your pocket than to die with a million pounds in your pocket and the guy next to you starving to death. Elijah. The story in Elijah and Gehazi, his servant, when... When Naaman, the great Syrian commander, he was the sort of prime minister of Syria, if you want to call it. He was also the, the commander of the Syrian army and he had leprosy. You can read this in the Kings and Chronicles. But he had leprosy. And, he, and nobody could find a cure for him for leprosy. And uh, a servant who was brought to him, who had been a, who brought as a slave from Israel, said, there's a man of God in Israel who can cure your leprosy. Our God is a great God. So Naaman 
took his, I mean, an entourage. I mean, you can only call it that. He would take a troop of cavalry and, you know, you know it would just, you can imagine it, something like Cleopatra or, you know, that sort of thing. And he arrived at the door of Elijah. And he wasn't very chuffed because Elijah didn't even come out and meet him. His servant came in, Naaman's servant came in to Elijah and said, my master's at the door. He says, and? Your point is? He says, well, he's got leprosy. He says, well, go and tell him to wash in the Jordan seven times and he'll be healed. And he went and told him and, and Naaman went home huffed. He says, am I, am I such a, a worm in the ground here that this man can't even speak to me? <clears throat> but tells me to go and wash in this muddy thing that they call the River Jordan when there's such beautiful sparkling rivers in Damascus. And of course, when Naaman did go and wash... He was healed of his leprosy. Just being that bit obedient to God. He, he wasn't even a believer in God, but I bet after that he was. But the point was that he had offered Elijah money. He'd offered Elijah money for the, for the healing. And Elijah said, no chance. I don't want anything from you. This is a gift of God and a free gift of God. You can have it. But Gehazi had a different outlook. He chased after Naaman. When Naaman was going back to Syria and he said, Oh, my master's changed his mind. He'll take a, a box of silver and a couple of suits and stuff like that, you know. And in some measure, that was what they were looking for because th- these were sort of festal suits that, that Gehazi had got. And they were well prized. You know, you were well off if you had one of these embroidered suits, almost like the, the coat of many colours that we talk about with, with Jacob, uh, with, with, with Joseph. Uh, the, the sleeveless thing that you know very looked, made you look very good in the trousers to go with it and all the rest of it. But Gehazi's heart was in the wrong place, and of course, when he get back to Elijah, Elijah says, "Where have you been? Ah, oh, it's just out and about, you know, burying a bucket of treasure and hanging up my suits and that, you know." He says, "What you've done is wrong." He says, "And there's a penalty to pay for it," and of course. That which was visited upon Naaman will be visited upon you. And Gehazi turned white before Elijah with leprosy. Because of his greed, because his treasure was in the wrong place, he thought that earthly treasure was the answer to his, to his problems. And it wasn't. And you had the same thing with the children of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt with Achan. Achan sinned against the Lord because he had been given this... Well, he'd found this wonderful raiment garment and, he, and he'd hid it in amongst his clothes and of course it cost him his life because he put his trust in the things of this world and not in the things of God you know you can I don't know whether you remember but some of you will remember that years ago when the European Economic Community was first formed and they, were, they had this common agricultural policy and people were paid to grow all this food and we had food mountains and wine lakes and all the rest of it. <clears throat> I mean, the rats were doing backstroke in the wine lakes, you know, blitzed. And the rats, <clears throat> this is the problem. Men were storing up wealth for themselves and the rats were better fed than the people in Africa were. The European rats were better fed than the people in Nigeria because we wouldn't give them the food. We wanted to store it up. We wanted to preserve the price of the stuff. And even at that time in the 60s, I remember that the American government 
to preserve the farmer's price for wheat, they would fill, literally fill ships with it, sail out to the sea and dump it in the sea, rather than give it to people who were in need, because the farmers wouldn't get their price for the wheat. And that in some measure just sums up and you know what it is to chase after the riches of this world. It might not be that type of thing that we're involved in, but as soon as we say to ourselves, I'll store this up for, for later, I'll keep this for after. I mean there was a parable that Jesus told him, wasn't there, about a man who who had a huge crop of stuff, but rather than give it away, he thought, well, I'll build bigger barns and I'll build bigger storehouses and I'll be rich and I'll be famous and all the rest of it. And God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. And where's all your treasures then? Where will it be? Years ago when I was a boy, a chick, growing up a, a single end in a tenement in New Stevenston we could go and leave our doors open and we always talk about that you know in my day you could leave your doors open why? because there was nothing worth stealing <laughs> but it's true I mean if burglars broke into your house they'd be bringing stuff back <laughs> I mean we had a couple of burst couches and a kind of carpet on the floor and a couple of bed recesses I mean, I was six before I realised that blankets didn't have buttons. You know? <laughs> Many's a night I've spent under my father's greatcoat when he came back to the army, and that was my blanket. It was warm right enough, but it is. But that, you know, fun and aside, that, that's the point. You know, people got by then, they lived. And they lived all right. I mean, I was still fed, I was still, I didn't get, you know, all the things that I wanted, but that would just have been greedy. God will supply all your needs, but he won't supply your greeds. You know, we need to be a people that that Holy Spirit that's in us is outworking. That, yeah, we have to, of course we have to, we need stuff to live with and we need food to eat. But as K.P. Johannan told me when I was in India, he said, you know, I'm not asking people in the Western world to give up their lifestyle. He says, I'm just asking them to live a wee bit simpler so that the other people can share in their blessing. And, and that's a wonderful philosophy to have. And it is, it's the giving heart that stores up the treasures in heaven. That's why George and, and Robin and myself have always been missions-minded in this church as a leadership because we need to reach out to people. This church is not about just the people that are sitting in here. There's a whole world out there that needs the help. And so at verse 22, Jesus said, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now the Jews at that point in time understood the eyes, excuse me, to be the window of the soul. That was the, the sort of place where, and it is, because that's where we get our ideas from. It's when we see something. When, when a man looks at a pornographic picture, it creates that desire within him. Therefore, what do we say? Don't put your heart there because where your heart is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. 
I mean, I told you before and many times about the times that I, that I walked into a, a, a mine office when I was walking around the pits and I'd only recently been saved. And of course, you open this door and there's a full-length picture of some woman with no clothes on. And you think, oh, what's going on here? But it wasn't the fact, I, I didn't know it was there. So I, I wasn't ready for it. But the next time I came, I didn't look. I can't be held responsible for the fact that I don't know it's there, but I can be held responsible for the fact that I went back and looked again. You know, that was the, that was the issue. And that was the issue with Lot's wife. She looked again behind her. And her, her sin paralyzed her. She was, she was virtually, spiritually turned to stone. She was physically turned to stone, but of course her, her, her spirit was dead within her also. You get pepper in your fish supper this morning. <laughs> but Jesus is putting forward the idea that what our eyes are fixed on impacts us spiritually. If, if your eyes, and this is to do with the treasures in heaven, this is to do with all that's gone before. If your eye lands on something, if you look at something and say, oh, I could make money out of that, but at what cost? Nobody that makes, I mean, we talk about people who are billionaires. There's been a lot of people stood on for these people to become billionaires. There's been a lot of ruthless, and maybe not illegal, but certainly very close to the wind, uh, their behaviour. And uh, it's only sometimes that this comes out. I mean, we, we see court cases coming up, but I'm quite sure there's a lot of it going on. The Israelites in the Old Testament worshipped Baal. But they also said that they worshipped Yahweh as well. But you can't. You can only worship one. God himself said that to him. You can't have this deception. You can't have this deception that you worship me and you worship Baal. Because God himself said in the, in the Ten Commandments, I am a jealous God. You know, you're either, you're either wholeheartedly to me or you're, or you're against me. And that's really what we're getting on to here. Whatever your eye is fixed on is your God. When people were sacrificing to Baal, that was their God. It wasn't Yahweh, although they might have paid lip service to it. It wasn't Yahweh. In 1990, this was a report in the Los Angeles Times, a man staggered into his office with a bullet wound in his chest and he fell on the floor and his colleagues of course all gathered round him and dialed 911 and sent for the ambulances and things and his last dying words on the floor there were the, the names of his children but clutched in his hand was his gold Rolex watch and he'd allowed himself to be shot he would rather hold on to his watch than hold on to his life Somebody had tried to mug him and take his watch. And rather than just say, hands up, have it. It's no worth it. He had fought back and grabbed the watch and the guy had pulled the gun and shot him. And that's where the love of money and the love of treasure in this world will get you. Because Jesus himself said it there. Somebody will come in and try and steal it from you. If you've not got it or you don't care too much about it, it doesn't really matter. But if your heart's really towards that, if you've really got your heart set in gold Rolex watches and all these other things, when somebody tries to take them off them, you'll try and stop them and it may cost you more than you want to pay.
you know, sin, as far as Satan's concerned, sin will cost you more than you want to pay, and it'll take you further than you want to go. Don't play around with it. Don't get your eyes fixed on things that uh, that are worthless in the eyes of God. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Having two jobs is different from having two masters. When you've got two masters, there's a conflict of interest here. I remember my own situation when I worked with Anderson Strathclyde in Motherwell. I was a design engineer. And when I was, we produced lots of innovative and modern design for coal mining machinery. But none of that was ever credited to me. I had to sign a piece of paper saying that any innovative idea or, or thing that I come up with, design that I come up with, didn't belong to me, it belonged to them. It belonged to my master, the guy who paid the money. And don't we see it today, especially within the church, he who pays the piper calls the tune. There's no question or doubt about it. So we have to be a people that we can't serve two masters. We can't be we can't be part of things like Masonic's lodges. We can't be part of Orange lodges. We can't be part of spiritualist churches and still proclaim to be Christians. We can only be one or the other. There's a demarcation line. You can't serve two masters. Jesus, in this sense, is talking about money. But it can come down to anything. When our eyes are focused on something other than God, there is a conflict of interest. And there always will be. If I had gone from Anderson Strathclyde and and worked part-time with British Jeffrey Diamond, who were in the same kind of business, they would have sued me. I would have been taken to court for a breach of contract because there's a conflict of interest. And that's the same situation we're in with God. We can't have other gods in our life. And Jesus is particularly referring to money here because as the old song goes, money makes the world go round, and it certainly does. It's a great thing to be able to bless someone with a gift. It's a great thing to be able to use your money wisely. But like everything else in this world, Satan has corrupted it. He's turned it into something that it was never designed to do. You cannot serve both God and money. And money, one of your translations might say God and mammon. There was a, 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 there is a sort of feeling amongst commentators and teachers that mammon was a Persian god who was basically appeased. We talked about this before, about all these pagan gods had to be appeased in the, in the past. And, and this was a god who had to be appeased with money. It was money that was made as an offering to them. God and mammon. And so... And in some measure, you know, the prosperity gospel that's out there just now goes down that road. There's a very fine line that you, you can't cross here. There's a blessing that comes from God and there's prosperity that comes from God. But it's basically a spiritual blessing. God has blessed us. I mean, when you think about it yourself, how much has God blessed you with what you have? If you had nothing, as far as the world was concerned... You've got eternal salvation. That this world will not be your home forever. This world will never be your home. A divided heart, James said, is a double-minded man. You can't honour God and honour our God, Yahweh, (coughs) and honour other gods as well. 
So I want to just put that to you this morning. I'm not going to finish this off because the kids are going to come in and sing a song for Ross. So we'll finish off chapter 6 one of these years. And uh, I just want to encourage you this morning that these things are not there, as I said at the start, as some sort of rule book. They're there because the spirit that's within you should be welling up and desiring to do these things. That's what Jesus was trying to put across to people. So as we sit and we listen to the kids this morning, as we say farewell to Ross, I trust that the Lord will bless you with all that's happened in here this morning. Thanks for coming.